0: at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Welcome to Mountain View Fellowship. Uh, My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And we have been in a sermon series that we've called Boot Camp. And we're just looking at some basic things that help us grow in our faith. And so uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Don started this out. He talked about fellowship. And the thought about fellowship is just the fact that it's not good for us to be alone. And we need to develop relationships and friendships that are social, but around spiritual things. And then last week, uh, Jody, who's the director of women's ministry and I, we we spent some time and we talked to you about um, God's word, the Bible, and how it is absolutely essential to our relationship with God as he transforms us into a new kind of human. And we introduced a kind of way to read the Bible, kind of walk through it, called the Seven Arrows, and we gave out uh, a ton of these bookmarks. Just out of curiosity, did anybody try out doing a Seven Arrow this week? There's a few hands. That's awesome. We are going to keep trying to talk about this, and and hopefully this is just a a way, something we develop as uh, as a church body that we're used to doing that. If you need one of these bookmarks, I still have several hundred. So uh, you can go out to the the information desk and pick one up after the service. That'd be great. This morning, I'm going to be talking about discipleship. Now, discipleship is one of those terms that we often throw out in church. Um, It's just kind of a common thing you hear. And yet, we don't always know exactly what that means. Um, And in fact, if you ask a number of different people, you're probably going to get different answers on what discipleship is. And it has to do with just kind of the starting point or what we think the focus of discipleship is. So if you think discipleship is about changing behavior, you're going to focus a lot on the do's and the don'ts, the things we're supposed to do and the things we're supposed to avoid. If you think it's about gaining knowledge, well, it's all about classes and reading lots of books and things like that. That's discipleship. If you think it's about getting the correct theology or doctrine, well, then it's usually sermon-based or maybe even go to seminary yourself. And then if you think it's about earning God's grace, then faith becomes just a list of to-do items that you got to check off to get his attention. And the truth is, I think all of these starting places miss some important things. And in fact, that last one, we know that we can't earn God's grace. It is a free gift to us. And so trying to approach discipleship is just checking off the boxes. That's not going to do anything. And I think because a lot of us kind of have these thought processes in our heads or that's how it's been talked about in the past, we don't really get involved in discipleship. We don't really quite understand how it works. Here's my thought. Discipleship starts with brokenness. What's broken? All of us, right? We are all broken in some way. It has to do with our past, our rebellion, our selfishness, our sin. It could just be the fact that we're living in the consequences of a fallen world, that there is sin in the world and death and hard times. Or it could be, again, the consequences of our own choices in our life. But all of us are broken in some way. And so if discipleship is really about brokenness, then the focus is on things like love and healing and grace in relationships in this thing that we call the gospel this year i have been talking a lot when i've been up here about the gospel and my kind of quest to find a definition i think i'm starting to hone it down this is where i'm at right now the gospel is the good news that we can have a relationship with jesus now and forever while he forgives heals and transforms us that's the gospel and the pages of the bible just resonate with all of those pieces It's God's answer to our brokenness. We can't solve our brokenness ourselves. We can't use super glue or something like that, or the latest epoxy or gorilla glue, we need Jesus, and that's how we're going to get healed. Last week, Jody and I talked about the fact that the Bible is really one story and it's all about God. It's about God's redeeming work in all of creation, trying to draw himself, draw all of creation back to himself. Um, I'm going to try something for a moment. I'm going to kind of start a thread through the Bible. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep talking. And I'm going to throw up some verses up here that's kind of about what I'm talking. Okay? So I'm asking you to do two things at once, and we'll see how it goes. Okay? Here we go. We start in the very beginning, the book of Genesis. In Genesis, we find out that God created man, women, humankind in the image of him. And the whole point is for us to be the image bearers of God. It's different than he asked of any other part of creation. You see, we are supposed to reflect God's attributes and his nature into the world. But there was a problem. And the problem wasn't the apple in the tree. The problem was the pear on the ground. Okay? And while we'd like to blame Adam and Eve for our sin... The fact is, each of us have sinned on our own. Uh, We have willfully disobeyed God at some point. And the Old Testament shows that, unlike the rest of creation, humanity doesn't follow God's plan. The rest of creation follows his intent and his purpose. But us, we consistently choose our own way. We follow our own justification rather than God, we pursue our own image instead of pursuing God's glory. And the Old Testament proves that man falls short of the one job he gave us, to be his image bearers. The start of the New Testament is about the Gospels. That's the story of Jesus. And God sent a man who comes, who is able to perfectly bear the image of God. And that man is God's son, Jesus. Fully man, fully God. And he does what we are completely incapable of doing. He radiates God's glory and God's character. The rest in the New Testament are letters. Letters between different people. And we only have one side of the conversation. We don't have the other letters. But people are writing back and forth. And they're trying to figure out how we can reclaim that title of being the image bearers of God through Jesus. Not on our own, but through him. And we cannot in isolation figure this out. We cannot on our own ability or experience or good looks or will or determination or intellect or knowledge or anything. We cannot do it on our own. Instead, we need the Lord and the Holy Spirit to transform us, to utterly change our nature so that we can bring praise and worship and honor and glory back to god and we need others we need the lord and the holy spirit but we need other humans to go along with us for our growth and our support and our encouragement and accountability and prayer and love we're not in it alone and we need help from others at times life isn't easy it's not fair God didn't promise it would be. He said that there would be sorrow and tragedy at times. Remember the whole consequences of sin thing? So the context of the New Testament letters is all about community, in relationship, in dialogue, figuring out how we can grow in our faith together and how we can share Jesus together to other folks. And at a minimum, we have to have people around us. I mean, how do we love each other if there's no other, right? And so even if we are just take the thing that we're called to love each other, we got to be with other people. But we all have to be in it. Without each of us committed, without each of us dedicated and striving and sweating together, we cannot fully reflect the image of God, the light that he has to the joy and the hope, we cannot reflect that to a dark and dying community that we live in that's made of people who desperately need Jesus, that need a savior. God uses us, broken, sinful, but redeemed by him in order to help other broken and sinful people find Jesus, find their savior. The same way that each of us who follow Christ, there was somebody in our life who helped us find him, which returns us back to this gospel. The gospel is the good news that we can have a relationship with Jesus now and forever while he forgives, heals, and transforms us. And I've emphasized the relationship piece, relationship with Jesus. We are created to be relational people. It's just how we're wired. Even an introvert like me, I'm actually an introvert. I'm a high-functioning introvert. But even a person like me, I need people around me. I realize that. And we need a good daily relationship with God. We need that, certainly. Life is better together. Better with God and better with other people. How many of you have noticed in the lobby that there's some words up high on the wall there, right? And the words say, pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We call this our mandate here at MBF. And what that means is we use that phrase to determine everything we do in ministry. Anytime we're looking at something new, a new ministry, a new group, uh, an event, we look at it and we say, is it going to point people to Jesus? And is it fostering relationships? And if it doesn't meet that, We don't do it it helps keep us focused and the relationships we're talking about are also on that wall out there there are three relationships the first one is what we call our up relationship and that's our relationship directly with god prayer reading scripture spending time with god every day we want you to have that up relationship daily it's growing your relationship with Jesus. It's trusting him more. It's surrendering more of your life and your time and your energy, more of you back to him. The second relationship we call our in relationship, and that's with other believers. And what we'd love you to do is spend time outside of Sunday morning at least once a week with some other believers, talking, um, Breaking bread, there's something special about sharing a meal together. So if you can do that, that's good. But spending time in relationship with other believers to help us encourage each other and stay on this path. And then the third relationship is what we call our out relationship. And that's with unsaved people. I actually like this phrase better, not saved yet people, right? So they're folks who need Jesus. And our hope is that you're spending time at least intentionally once a month having a spiritual conversation with friends and family, neighbors, coworkers, people who don't know Jesus yet who need him. And the thought is, again, being intentional with that conversation, saying, Hey, I believe in Jesus. What do you think? Or, Is God talking to you at all lately? It's having a conversation. And all of this together is discipleship. Now, before I go too far, I I do want to try to define discipleship a little bit. Give us something. Here's a somewhat common definition that's used. Intentional spiritual conversations to become the image bearers of God. I don't like this definition very much. I don't think it's complete enough. I think it's missing some other nouns that we need to have in there. It's intentional conversations. That's our default. But it's also intentional spiritual accountability, modeling, mentoring, investments of time and energy and tears with other people so that together we can become the image bearers of God. I think this list probably makes sense, and there's more to it as well, but it's not just a simple text every once in a while. We can't just text somebody saying, hey, I'm praying for you, and here's today's Bible verse, right? That's nice, but that's not discipleship. It's investment of time. Now, discipleship is important. If we just take it at a base level and just say, Jesus told us to do it, he doesn't tell us to do non-important things, so it's got to have some importance. So we start there. But I think it's more than that. It's, we can read the Bible, we can kind of figure out what we're supposed to do, Um, but there's something different about knowing what to do and then being able to translate that into our culture, into our current time, and the conditions, right? I mean, how do you really do it? How do you really disciple somebody? And so we need somebody to help walk with us. We need somebody who shows us how to take this thing that is this new life that Christ is giving us and actually make it happen in our lives. We need a mentor. We need somebody who's going to keep us on track. Uh, I think we're pretty good about modeling and discipling within our own family. Um, think of it this way. My, my kids did not try out to be in my family. There was no audition. God placed them there, right? And because they're part of my family, my wife and I work really hard to show them what is important, how to wash the dishes, how to respect their elders, how to love others, how to love God. Uh, the same is true in the church. Uh, you are here because Christ brought you here. Nobody had to vote or approve your application for you to be here, right? But because Christ placed you here, let's get after it. Let's together figure out how to live for him, what it means to follow Jesus. Sermons aren't enough. Bible studies aren't enough. We need life on life. Iron sharpening iron. You've probably heard that phrase. We need someone intentionally showing us and modeling us how to walk with Christ and then giving us feedback, what we're doing right and correcting us when we're off track. Last night I was practicing and suddenly this phrase came into my mind. I really think this is the right definition. Discipleship is spiritual based relationships over time. It's focusing on it over time. It's not a one-and-done or ten weeks and you're discipled. It's life. I think the early church knew this. These are the people that were together after Jesus ascended back to heaven. And we read in Acts chapter 2, we read several things. And we'll just start here in verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and sharing in meals, including Lord's Supper and to prayer. They were together in fostering their up relationship, right? Verse 46, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. They had in relationship with each other. And then verse 47, all the time while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. They had out relationships, now, let's just go back to verse 46 for just a moment. Pastor Don talked about this a couple weeks ago, that there's kind of a, a two-point strategy that was being used. There was about being in the temple together and then being in homes, okay? Let's, let's think our, through our, our temple experience. We're going to call this our temple, okay? Welcome to the temple, folks. This is our temple. Think about what it took to get here today, right? Getting up, getting ready, getting here. Okay, so you get here, you find your seat, you got to get here early enough because we're creatures of habit, so you have your assigned seating, right? Everybody's pretty much, I can pretty much guess where you guys are going to be, right? So you want to get here, but not too early because then you're just sitting alone and that's kind of weird. So you you, you time it just right. You get in here, worship starts. We get to enjoy worship, praising God. Fantastic music. We bring it in. We sing the word. Some of us are brave enough to raise our hands maybe or just one Or maybe just carry the TV, you know. (laughs) But we enjoy the worship. We connect with God. And then there's a sermon. And hopefully it's good enough that, you know, you take some notes. You learn some things. Maybe you feel a little convicted about something. Maybe you're willing to commit to some challenge or, or try something out. We have a couple more songs. We have a few announcements. And then we're done. We tend to enjoy Sunday service together. But... Did we actually connect with anybody? Connect with them beyond just kind of the shallow things. And and we all do it. I mean, in the lobby we have conversations, but most of the time it's kind of like, how are you doing? Anything exciting happening? We complain about the Broncos, maybe. That's what we do. But while you were here, did you get any support on things going on? Did you get encouragement? Did you get prayer? Somebody pray over you on something. Was there accountability on things that you're trying to work through? Was there some growth? Being in the temple is so critical for us as a body of Christ to be together to corporately worship God. But those other things, where are they happening in your spiritual life? And I think that's the home part of this. You see, here in our version of the temple, we're all in rows, aren't we? You guys are all sitting in rows. You're, you're looking up here. We participate to some extent, but pretty much we're kind of watching what's happening up here. But at homes, we change it from rows to circles. And we're all part of the circle, right? And we have the kind of conversations that we need to have. Not the lobby conversations, but we have the kind of conversations we have in our kitchen kitchen is where life really happens, right? That's where we have the deep conversations oftentimes with our family. And those are the conversations we need to have with other believers. And it only happens in homes. It's about relationships and discipleship. We have been asking you these questions a lot this year. Are you being discipled? Is somebody investing in you intentionally? And are you discipling somebody else, passing it on? We're going to keep asking this question because I think it's so key. And I know not everybody's involved in this yet. Not everybody can say yes to either one of these questions, let alone both. i got to say, it's not magic. Discipleship isn't some program or you got to go through some big class and know the 12 steps of discipleship or anything like that. It's simply talking, modeling, praying, that list. So I want to challenge you, if you can't say yes to at least one of these questions, give yourself an early Christmas present. Dive in. Find somebody who can disciple you. And if you're able to, start to disciple somebody else. Now, I think there's a couple requirements. If you want to be discipled, there's a few things you have to be willing to do. It's pretty simple. The first one is consistency. Consistency. If you want to be discipled, you've got to be willing to consistently meet with somebody. Once a month does not cut it. That's not life on life. That's just checking in. It's got to be something pretty much weekly that you're getting involved. Another thing is you have to have openness. You have to be willing over time to share some of the deep hurts and brokenness and ugliness in your own life with that person. So that they can, through prayer and scripture, we can figure out the path we're supposed to take. And you also have to be willing to hear what they may say back. Or if you start getting off track, that they're going to call you on it. And that falls right into humility. We don't have life figured out. No matter how good or how perfect somebody looks, the reality is Jesus is the only one that had it figured out. And so we have to be humble and know, I have to be willing to change. I have to be willing to have somebody speak truth in, even when it hurts sometimes. If you want to disciple somebody, there's a few requirements. The first three are exactly the same. And this is because anytime you disciple somebody, you will be discipled at the same time. Uh, I have been discipling folks for, for quite a while. I love meeting with folks. And I have a couple different groups that I'm in right now, discipling people. And the truth is, I may have been through the material we're going through before, sometimes several times, but I'm still being convicted and I'm still learning and they're still calling me on things too. And then the new things. You have to be half a step ahead spiritually. None of us will have arrived. You don't have to be a complete expert on the Bible and everything. You just have to be willing to talk. And at times... When somebody brings up something in their life you don't know about, willing to go and prepare, willing to to research it, to ask some questions, to read more on it, to pray about it, and be ready to go. You have to stay connected. This really has to do with your up relationship. It is so easy when we're discipling somebody else for us to just get busy and not continue to be connected to God. And if that happens, it falls into issues where we lose our humility but we also lose what we need so that we can pour into someone else. And you have to be willing to love. Um, There's a great phrase that I like. Sometimes they smell like sheep. Um, When we're discipling folks, they're broken. There's times where it's not going to be easy. You see some success on some issue that they're going through and you guys are praying together and it's going really well and all of a sudden everything falls off. Or maybe suddenly they start realizing there's something here that really hurts and they push back on you. When we're discipling people, it can be hard at times. It can be frustrating. Sometimes we can get hurt. But we have to be willing to love, to look past that and say, they can do it with Christ in their life and we need to bring that light in. Now there's a couple different discipleship groups that are here at MBF and I just want to offer this to you to help you with this challenge, okay? Okay. The first one is actually your family is a discipleship group. Our ministry, all of us, begins with the ministry at home first, with our family, the people that we know the best who know us the best. Whether you're the adults or whether you're the child, you can make discipleship happen by asking questions, by wanting to talk about things and work through things together. If you are kids, if you do have kids, you're a parent, um, you are the spiritual leader of your kids. We have a tremendous children's ministry here, MVF Kids, but I just want you to know they are not discipling your kids. That may be a shocker. (laughs) They are not discipling you. If you look up children's ministry and children's volunteer in the Bible, you know what you'll find? Nothing. (laughs) It's not in there. What is in there is parents over and over and over again. So what we do, Darcy, who's our director of children's ministry, what she does here, she's got a great curriculum called Orange. And what she does every week is there is Bible stories the kids are learning. There is a virtue each month. This month, it's about individuality. And I don't quite have the definition right, but it's about the fact that God created each of us to be different so we can help others. What she keys up is a discussion. And then the way you disciple your kids is to go home and keep that discussion going. They will come home with materials. Darcy posts all sorts of materials throughout the week, ways that you can continue the discussion going. That's the expectation. The same is true for traders, our youth. Teens really need to be discipled by their parents. Despite what they say, they want you involved in their life. Right? Right, Janelle? Still want your folks involved? Just calling her out sorry about that i could probably call out some others too but we want our parents involved all of our life so keep it going another group that we have here is bible studies i have it in parentheses just so you know bible studies their base nature is not necessarily discipleship it can be but usually it's six to ten weeks about some subject And the focus of the small groups and the discussions are usually on that topic instead of discipleship. Sometimes if you're doing it over and over with the same people, it can become discipleship. Um, But things like accountability, about talking about the deep things in life and over time working together on those, Bible studies don't always do that. They are great. You need to be involved. It's a great way to learn and to meet others. But I'm going to challenge you if you're like ladies you're in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians right now that's going to be ending before too long. Make it a discipleship group just by at the end of it the people you've been meeting with the friends you've made say hey, let's continue to meet every Tuesday morning or Tuesday evening and really hold each other accountable to things to growth. One of the best structures for discipleship groups is something called discipleship huddles. That's what I call them. And it's people meeting one-on-one or maybe a small group up to maybe four people. Um, these are informal, and yet they are the, some of the most powerful things you can do. You just get together weekly with somebody. I love them because they don't have to be with a believer either. The people in that group can be non-believers, your neighbors, your co-workers, Um, and they're just, hey, let's meet together and talk about life and bring up God during it. Um, I'm actually in several of these groups right now, and they are just, again, an informal way that we walk through every week and we try to to meet together. There's something you can start on your own. You don't have to come to MVF and get permission to start one. Um, Sometimes different people will say, hey, I'd love to have this kind of group formed, Just so you know, if you come to me and you say that, I'm going to start with saying, hey, have you just formed a huddle? Have you gotten together with three or four people to begin with and just working on that together? And then the last group that we have is what we call life groups. Um, Life groups are pretty awesome. Life groups, I think, are the closest to what that early church was doing in homes. Um, They meet in homes once a week. Uh, Oftentimes they have food. Sometimes it's a full meal. Sometimes it's just snacks. They share life together. They open up the Bible and they talk through some passage about what that passage may mean, but certainly what it looks like in our lives. We're in a circle and no one is the expert. Everybody gets to talk and then we pray together. Life groups have a ton of fun together, both in the evenings and then sometimes outside. But they also support each other when life gets hard. They stay in contact with one another and When somebody is sick or has had surgery or a new baby or maybe a death of a relative or a flooded basement, life groups jump in and help each other. Um, I'll be really honest with you. 2020 was pretty hard on our life groups. Um, Maybe didn't quite make it through the whole COVID area very well. In in March of 2020, we had 12 life groups. I had three that we were about to launch. Um, Here at the end of the summer, we kind of had four that were healthy. Um, and so if you've contacted me in the last year and said, hey, I want to join a life group, and you didn't hear much back from me, it was just because I didn't have much to offer. So we're making a concerted effort to get life groups together and going again, and actually today we're kind of relaunching life groups. Um, I'm, we're going to have a lunch right after the last uh, service today where I'm going to talk a little bit more about the details of what a life group is, and we're going to start forming some life groups right there, um, some new ones and get a launch. So if you can come back for that, that would be awesome. Um, if you're not able to do that, go ahead and fill out a connection card and say, I am interested in life groups. Um, you can do that. The physical ones in the back of the room or on the app under Sundays, uh, and then it says connection card. Just say, I'm, I'm interested. Um, we're trying to bring on a whole bunch of new leaders, so I also need more leaders to go. And leader, being a leader is not very hard. I can walk you through that. But think about a life group. Honestly, think about it. Those of you who are in life groups, I want to say that Sunday service, the temple part, is a lot better. Uh, Don said this a couple weeks back, that those of you who are in life groups, when you come to service, it's a lot more fun. It's more exciting. You connect with people, and you get past just the shallow stuff, and you actually do some discipleship in the lobby, where you're asking each other, how is that going? How's that issue? I've been praying for you about it. Life is... Better together. Absolutely. Raise up to this challenge. If you remember nothing else, remember this challenge. Are you being discipled and are you discipling somebody else? We all have to jump in and make it happen. Let's go ahead and pray together. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for today, for pulling us together in this temple, in this place that we get to corporately worship you. But each one of us is broken. There's things that have happened long ago in our past. There are things that are happening right now in our lives, things that we're dealing with, and things that we're making not wise choices about. Each of us is broken. We need you, Holy Spirit, in our lives. We need you working and transforming us and creating new fruits in our lives. And I know sometimes you do that just by speaking to us and the circumstances we're in, but I also know that you call people into our lives. There are divine appointments all the time where people walk in and they can speak into our lives and help us seek those times out. This past year, year and a half, we have been taught to isolate ourselves, to when something's not right, just to quarantine ourselves and to stay away from others. And, Certainly on these life issues, that's not what you want for us. You want us to be with others. So, Jesus, I just pray that you will work in the lives of each person in here, and me too. Continue to have us seek out others to be willing to be discipled and willing to walk with somebody else and disciple them as well. Life is better together, better with you and better with others. Thanks for loving us first, Jesus. Amen.